Hello, I'm Petri Hoskin, and if you're listening to this show, then it's safe to say you'll love Hacks and Flax. Hacks and Flax is where you get the inside scoop on how journalist hacks and the flax of government and business work behind the scenes to decide which stories you'll be reading with your morning coffee and perhaps more importantly, how they keep certain headlines off the front pages. I'm assisted by a regular panel of hacks and flacks who lift the lid on that special relationship between press and politics. So let hacks and flacks blow your mind and change the way you look at news forever. Tom Swarbrick on LBC. With Enterprise. See if one of their neighbourhood locations are near you. 10 to 6, Friday, Tom Swarbrick on LBC and thank God time for some sense. Who do we turn to? LBC's US correspondent, our very own sense maker, with his American Week, Simon Marks. Tom, it's been a very busy American week. We've got lots to get through, so let's start by travelling back in time to last weekend to Beijing and to Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We had a robust conversation about regional and global challenges. That includes Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine. I raised US concerns shared by a growing number of countries about the PRC's provocative actions in the Taiwan Strait, as well as in the South and East China Seas. The Secretary of State spoke there as though his meeting with President Xi Jinping was routine. It was anything but. He became the highest level US official to travel to China for five years. It took months to arrange after a February visit was scrapped when President Biden ordered that Chinese spy balloon to be shot down. And this meeting could easily have been derailed by a fresh revelation that China has established a listening post in Cuba, 90 miles off America's shores, and now wants to increase its intelligence gathering activities there. Speaking on CBS, Mr. Blinken conceded the Chinese are doing it all over Latin America. It is something of a real concern, but regardless of that, uh, we've been going uh, around to various places where we see this kind of activity. Uh, trying to put a stop to it. As the Secretary of State conjured up images there of horses and wide-open stable doors, right after he departed China, his boss, the President, weighed in. Joe Biden, for the first time, called President Xi a dictator. China called the claim absurd and irresponsible. Biden yesterday refused to walk it back, calling it a fact. But this was an American week when anyone seeking consistency in U.S. foreign policy might have had a hard time finding it. The sound of India's national anthem echoing out over the White House grounds. Hundreds of invited members of India's diaspora here singing along at the start of a state visit to Washington by Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Welcome, Mr. Prime Minister. I've long believed that the relationship between the United States and India is one of the, will be one of the defining relationships of the 21st century. For India's leader, President Biden laid it on with a trowel. Remarkable given that it wasn't so long ago that Delhi enjoyed a close relationship with the Soviet Union, and today India is second only to China in its addiction to Vladimir Putin's oil. Remarkable too given that President George W. Bush banned Narendra Modi from visiting America because of what his administration called very serious doubts about his role in anti-Muslim riots in Gujarat, where in 2002 he was chief minister. There are millions here who have roots in India, 
Yesterday, he joined only Churchill, Mandela and Zelensky in being invited to speak to a joint session of Congress for a second time. Some of them sit proudly in this chamber. And there is one behind me. That's a reference to Vice President Kamala Harris sitting behind him, the daughter of an Indian mother. The Biden administration sees India as a critical counterweight to a rising China in the Asia-Pacific region and as a growing economy eager for American products. All sorts of defense and business deals were signed this week, regardless of India's neutrality over the war in Ukraine. President Biden insisting that because the world's most populous nation is a democracy, the two countries are bound together. There's an overwhelming respect for each other because we're both democracies. And uh, it's a common democratic candidate, uh, character in both our countries that and our people, our diversity, our culture, our open, tolerant, robust debate. And I believe uh, that we believe in the dignity of every citizen. But that description of today's India is not universally embraced. And behind the scenes, there were efforts to prod Narendra Modi in a more democratic direction. None blunter than the White House insistence that the Indian leader had to participate in a joint press conference alongside President Biden, something he never does in India, where he's accused of cracking down on his political opponents and the media. What steps? are you and your government willing to take to improve the rights of Muslims and other minorities in your country and to uphold free speech? We have always proved that democracy can deliver. And when I say deliver, this is regardless of caste, creed, religion, gender. There's absolutely no space for discrimination. While the U.S. president was this week again talking up the strength of global democracies, America's democratic fragility was again on display on Capitol Hill. On this vote... The A's are 213 and the nays are 209, with six answering present. The resolution adopted. House will be in order. But the House of Representatives would not be in order as Democrats furiously protested a Republican vote to censure Congressman Adam Schiff of California, one of Donald Trump's most persistent critics in the Assembly. Their goal is to go after people they think are effective uh, in standing up to them and standing up to Donald Trump, their their party leader. Uh, and they hope to chill others from doing what I did. It's not going to deter me, I promise you that. As for Donald Trump, this was the week when he tied himself up in knots during a very combative interview with Fox News anchor Brett Bayer, who read from the indictment that accuses the former president of the criminal mishandling of top-secret documents. According to the indictment, you were recorded saying that you had a document detailing a plan of attack on another country that was prepared by the U.S. military for you when you were president. The Iran attack plan, you remember that? Ready? You were recording. It wasn't a document. Okay. I had lots of paper. I had copies of newspaper articles. I had copies of magazines. I know. The indictment cites the recording and the testimony from people in the room saying you showed it to people there that day. Brett, there was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else. 
And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. Per se, you say, but none of this is hurting his presidential chances. Today, he's announcing he's won the backing of more than half the Republicans in the state legislature in the battleground of Pennsylvania, even though he could face decades in jail. Dodging jail time this week, President Biden's son, Hunter. I'm very proud of my son. The president's only public comment after Hunter Biden struck a plea deal with prosecutors over his failure to pay taxes and over lies that he told when he applied for a gun license. Not surprisingly, Republicans like Senator Ted Cruz of Texas are having a field day. What does Hunter Biden get? Zero years in prison, zero months in prison, zero days in prison. That is a sweetheart deal because daddy is in the Oval Office. It is also grist to the Republicans' insistence that Donald Trump, whose alleged conduct was far more egregious, is the victim of double standards by the Department of Justice. All over the world, this week will perhaps be best remembered for the awful developments off the coast of Nova Scotia. An ROV, or remote-operated vehicle, discovered the tail cone of the Titan submersible approximately 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic. Rear Admiral John Mauger with yesterday's news that all hope was lost for the five men aboard, including the CEO of Ocean Gate Expeditions, the company now widely accused of jerry-rigging the submersible. We now know that U.S. intelligence identified the sound of its implosion last Sunday in real time, but hesitated to make that information public, fearing it would reveal the extent of America's sonic surveillance in the waters of the Atlantic. There are also big questions about why an American company was allowed to put lives at risk without having to meet any regulatory requirements for the design of its craft. But those questions, Tom, are for another American week. For this one, I'm out of time. From Washington, D.C., Simon Marks, American Week.